Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce Murray, and welcome to my podcast, Going Long, where every week we spend some time with folks in and out of the world of sports who share one thing in common, their passion for the world of sports. And the guy I spend time with today is a guy that you may not recognize his name. It's Steve Mayer. Now, if you're a fan of the old SNN, the Mislu Sports News Network, which was the precursor to ESPN News, you may recognize him as one of the first anchors back in 1990. Didn't last that long, so I'm guessing probably not. But he's also the chief content officer for the National Hockey League. And if you look at the rankings for the most important people in sports when it comes to hockey, you'll find him in the top 10 with Gary Bettman, Alex Ovechkin, and other guys that help craft that league. He's responsible for all the content that the league puts out and many of the endeavors that they do outside of the respective home buildings, like the Winter Classic or the Lake Tahoe Endeavor that they had back in February. He is responsible for building the league into what it is today. He was responsible for the bubble last year that they put together in Toronto and Edmonton and helped execute the rest of that season and ultimately get a season completed with the Stanley Cup. And I know other sports did it, basketball, but that was at a single venue. The challenges that hockey had were much greater. And it was great to spend some time with him talking about all of that. So here now my conversation with Steve Mayer. Steve, I have to say just thank you for being able to even do this. Uh, We need to share with the audience exactly what you're living through right now having traveled back from Lake Tahoe, when back in February, you had a series of hockey games and injured yourself. We're going to get to all that, but but how are you, my friend? Uh, Bruce, I'm doing okay. Uh, I probably am one of your few guests that actually will fully admit that they're doing this podcast while on numerous painkillers. I just had surgery a couple of days ago. Uh, Unfortunately, I fell while in Tahoe. Uh, broke a fibula, tore ligaments, dislocated an ankle, uh, coming off surgery. But, uh, you know, all, all things aside, I feel pretty good and back to work and happy that I'm here with you. You know, I, I was hoping that you were going to say you were on painkillers, because if we keep you long enough, you may be able to expose some secrets that we've always wanted to know about the National Football, uh, the National Hockey League while you're under the influence. And I'm actually surprised that contractually, you're allowed to do an interview while you're under the influence of narcotics. So I'm happy about that. I have to check the contract. I really (laughs) do, because I'm not not really sure this is allowed, but I'm going to take my chances. And whether I'm on painkillers or not, given my long relationship with you, Bruce, I'm sure that my my secrets will eventually come out. (laughs) I'm sure they will. And we're going to go into that relationship, because I think it's interesting. Here you are. Um, you're the chief content officer for the National Hockey League. And I, I recently saw some poll that suggested you're one of the most 10 most powerful people in the sport. Guys like Alex Ovechkin are on the list, obviously Gary Bettman. Um, and you started a career in television, not in the executive behind the scenes thing. And I, I want to talk about that whole path. But what, what exactly is the chief content officer for the National Hockey League? You know, that's a good question. Uh, when, I, when you say that, I mean, content now is just about everything. Um, and, you know, when I came to the league, I had worked at IMG for 20 years in 
more of the television production business, event production business. And I came over, uh, there were some big projects that were happening at the National Hockey League um, coming up. There was a World Cup of Hockey. Uh, the National Hockey League was about to celebrate their 100th year. And, and so, you know, I took the job thinking that, you know, I would run these projects and I would also um, be in charge of all the content that's produced from the league. And at that time, a lot of it was being produced by Major League Baseball, believe it or not. So they, they had done a deal, the National Hockey League, with MLB at that time, BAM Tech. And a lot of the highlights content was being produced by BAM Tech. You know, and I came in and I was like, what are we doing here? We, we need to be producing our own material, our own content. And we quickly sort of, you know, hired producers, directors, editors, and we manned up uh, and femaled up. And we ended up putting together what I think is a really significant now production team. And we produce our own material. So content from the true form of video and, you know, social posts, that's one piece of it. And then the other piece of it is I run our events department at the league. So all the signature events at the NHL are actually produced by the NHL. The Winter Classic, the Stadium Series, the All-Star Games, um, what we just did in Lake Tahoe. And there's a, a very significant team made up of about 60 individuals that produce everything from the ticketing to the hotels, to the hospitality, to the way it looks, to the entertainment. And that's all done through the league. And that's another piece of my job. Um, you know, so it's anything that's outward that, you know, represents the National Hockey League, um, not only, you know, in, on our platforms, but also on our broadcast, our broadcast platform. So strange question, because, again, you and I did TV together going back 30 years ago. And I remember when we were doing TV, we would always have to do an hour of it. And we'd always figure out, well, when are we going to get hockey into the program? Uh, well, let's <laughs> let's do the horse racing first. We'll do the tour de Trump second. We'll do and then we'll find like a spot for hockey because, you know, you remember that it wasn't, you know, the sport that was going to bring eyeballs to news events. And I don't even know if you were a hockey fan. Were you a hockey fan? So it's interesting. I, I'm a huge sports fan, as you know. Uh, I love all sports. But, you know, among the pecking order of my sports fandom, hockey was not at the top. And I don't know if you remember, if you go back 30 years, so we had a reverse role. Um, I was on camera. Right. I was the guy behind the microphone. And you were the guy behind the scenes. Right. And, and so back then... And this is all you need to know about my hockey knowledge slash our hockey interest 30 years ago at the network that we both worked at. Um, when we decided that we were going to do something significant in hockey, we had a guy um, who was our hockey analyst, Gordy Howe. <laughs> and no one on our announcing team had any hockey knowledge. And I raised my hand saying, I'll do it. I mean, I know at least a little bit. And I was the hockey guy who would every day get out with Cordy Al and kind of make my way through a live show previewing the playoffs or the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's, you know, that actually was a, a, a huge for me introduction to hockey. But 
I've always been a fan, but I've never been the super fan. But I actually think it's really helped me, Bruce. You know, coming to the National Hockey League with with the eye on sports and not hockey. I, I work with these hockey lifers who eat, sleep, drink hockey. I mean, it's all they do. And they only see things one way. You know, I came in with a different perspective and asked a lot of questions. Why do you do it this way? Why do we do it this way? Why can't we do it this way? And I think I've opened up a lot of eyes to, you know, we got to be more progressive. We aren't the number one, number two, number three. You know, some would say not even the number four. You know, so how do we get progressive? How do we get out there? How do we do things that are different? And, and, I, and I really believe that that's helped me, uh, helped me a lot, because I bring a sports perspective to the National Hockey League, not just a hockey perspective. You know, I think it's interesting, too, as you said, you know, 30 years ago, our roles were reversed. I was producing television. You were a TV anchor. And let me share with our audience, not just a TV anchor, a TV anchor with the best hair in the history <laughs> of television. Okay. Well, Forget about you. Rob Lowe. Forget, I, I, don't, I don't even know who comes to mind. Steve Mayer had the best hair in the history of television. And even as you reach, you, you're late 50s now? You're not 60, are you? No, I'm late 50s. Late 50s. You still have great hair. Well, thank you. It's amazing. You've made it this far with your hair. But, but you know, you said something. You come from the sports perspective for a sport that for a long time, as, as you said, it, it, is it fourth? Is it fifth? Where does it fit in in the sports echelon? And I grew up a huge hockey fan. I grew up an Islanders fan when they were building those Stanley Cup teams in the 70s with Brian Trotche and Mike Bossy and Dennis Potvin. I've been, that's probably my favorite sport, even though I spend every week doing 15 hours on NFL radio. Hockey's been my favorite sport. I have a son who plays hockey. We sit down and watch Islanders games whenever they're on. And yet I've shared with him how it's a sport that has incredibly passionate fans. But the joke used to be in Washington, when I worked in Washington, there are 17,000 hockey fans, but they sell out every game. And we're like, yeah, because every single one of them goes to the game. Yeah. So since you've come there, what have you learned about the fan base? And, and, and is there a way to build on it? Or, or is it always going to fit into that small corner in the sports landscape? So I, I really believe there's a way to build on it. But I really believe your, your analysis of, of, you know, it being a very local driven sport is, is spot on. And, and I, and I also think that's, that's the way it's always been, you know, it's the Islander mentality. It's that local mentality. And, you know, you don't have that national perspective that other sports have, you know, a lot of times when your team's not going well, you'll buy a ticket to see Steph Curry come into the garden right. because it's about the star coming in. You know, there aren't that many players that we've had that you'd buy a ticket to watch. You know, you want to watch your Rangers, but when Alex Ovechkin comes to town, if the Rangers are down, are you really going to go buy a ticket because you want to watch Ovechkin play? Right. You know, we're trying to change that perception. We're trying to make it much more national in scope. We're trying to take a lot of the younger players, especially those that, you know, we think have personality you know, have that star power and get to them early and kind of, you know, play off of the star power that could drive the league to new heights. Um, I think we're in a pretty interesting spot right now. We've built 
our social following dramatically in the last five years. You know, our ratings are starting to really pick up uh, on a on a national level. Are we where we want to be? No, but you know, do we feel like we're making strides? Yes, and I do think you know we're about to hit a point where, and I'm not giving away too much. Um, you know, we're going to have new TV deals in place that I do think are going to take us to another another level. Um, you know, in terms of uh, exposure, um, you know, I, I definitely feel that we'll be on multiple networks moving forward rather than one. That'll help. Um, I think that we're building out our star players. We're working with them on on their social media habits and and getting in front of the camera and getting in front of the team. I mean, it's a mentality, and you appreciate it. You know, hockey is about that locker room, and you know, I've heard it a million times. You know, no one wants to disrupt the locker room and no one wants to put I in front of team. And, you know, we, we've been trying to tell these younger players that, it, you know, you could have a little of both. You know, one of the guys I've worked really closely with to help us with getting to some of the younger players is Wayne Gretzky. I mean, here's a guy who, you know, who was Wayne Gretzky. He was bigger than life. And yet he won, didn't disrupt the locker room, but yet he also had star power. And, you know, he was stuck in Edmonton, you know, which I don't think helped those days. But here, you know, when he came to New York, I mean, he, he's a big superstar. You know, he's been helping also talking to younger players alongside me and some of the others at the league, telling these young players that, you know, you could be a little about yourself. It's cool. But at the same time, you're not going to disrupt your locker room. And I think that's the way we got to go. But yeah, we're, we're a very local based sport, like in a certain city, you know, they love their hockey. Uh, but, you know, it, it's hard to find a sort of general fan who just doesn't, doesn't care every night, just wants to watch a game. It doesn't matter who's playing. Right. And, and it's interesting because you said, you know, you'd like it to be about the stars and it's okay to be about me as well as about the team. But I think it's interesting. Is, isn't it incumbent upon you guys to make that clear? Look, I, I know Gary Bettman comes from a history with David Stern. Yeah. And the NBA a long time ago embraced the idea that it was less about the team and it was more about the star. They didn't sell the Chicago Bulls. They sold, they sold Michael Jordan. Yeah. They, didn't, they, they didn't sell the Lakers. They sold Magic Johnson. And they sold Larry Bird. And, yeah, the teams were brought along with it. And, and some thought, to, to some extent, it was to the detriment of the league because when those guys left, there was going to be a void that had to be replaced. And there always seems to be that guy in waiting. Now it's LeBron James. But, I mean, isn't it incumbent upon you guys to take that on your mantle to make it clear that there are stars that are maybe bigger than the teams themselves? Well, I think we are. I, maybe I, I didn't explain it that well. Though. That could have been the painkiller. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I – Take I, no, a couple we more. We are. Like, we, we've gone, you know – like the, the Nathan McKinnons, the Cal McCars, there's some really like great young players who, you know, we're going to prop up. And uh, again, I don't want to use this sort of new TV deal, but I, I think we are looking at that as a, as a benchmark, you know, to like look at a whole different marketing campaign and it will feature, you know, these type players, you know, again, giving, you know, them more exposure than they've had, 
Um, and then, and to your point, the league saying, Here, you know, here's the group of young players that everybody's got to get behind and, you know, and working with them, coaching them on personality and on camera. I mean, it comes with the territory. Again, it's not something that they are, are necessarily used to. And, you know, some of them have to be sort of brought along a little bit. But, you know, we feel like we do have a really great wave coming in that are, you know, that will be our future, that will be our future Crosby's and Ovechkin's. And we're super excited about these players. And we're, you know, we're, we're really excited about, you know, what the future does hold for the league. Because, again, we're seeing these signs of growth at every single level. And that's really encouraging. It's very positive. And we're just, you know, we'll continue to try to, you know, market them. But at the same time, we're also like excited about our interest to, to be able to do some new things like the Tahoe event. You know, those are the things that we're not afraid to try. You know, they're all not going to work, but like you got to be able to do things that are a little out of the box to get people's attention. And again, not only a hockey fan, but a sports fan. You know, you want somebody who's like, you know, flipping channels to go, whoa, this looks cool. This is different. You want to catch their eye. There's a, there's a lot out there. How do you cut through the clutter? And how do you do it in a really creative way? And we've got the go-ahead from the commissioner to be able to do that. You know, it, it, it's, it's incredible to hear because, as you know, the NHL has always been challenged by presenting the sport on television. I've yes. always told people there's no better sport to see live than a National Hockey League game, but it doesn't translate as well on television. Difficulty ch- following the puck. You remember when Fox tried the glowing puck that you could see through the boards and it was, you know, as you said, they, they tried something. It didn't work. It's always been a very difficult sport to present on television for yeah. some reason. No, and it is, uh, you know, and, and to your point, uh, and I'm with you, uh, we get somebody in that arena and nine out of 10 times, they're, they're like falling in love with the sport. And I mean, it, it is a, an amazing experience in person, the speed of the game, the sounds, the hits the excitement, you just feel it when you're inside yeah. that arena. And, and yes, it is a difficult sport on TV to follow. Um, you know, I, HD took it to another level. I think 4K is going to take it to a whole nother level. You know, and one of the things that we're finding, you know, now in this period of time without fans, you know, we've changed some camera angles. We brought the game down lower and it's helped. And I do think moving forward, when we bring fans back in, you know, a lot of the arenas are talking about some reconfigurations in terms of camera positions. And, and, and we're talking a lot about, you know, new cameras and new technology that could help follow the puck and, and, and show the speed of the game. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing. I mean, these guys are unbelievable from an athletic standpoint. And do you have the full appreciation when you watch that on TV? Because these guys go hard. What they do athletically is pretty incredible. And, you know, they never stop. You know, they, they go to the bench for, you know, a brief break and they're back on with another shift. I mean, they're, they're, they're always on that ice and they go hard in their time on the ice. Yeah, you know, I, I want to talk to you about 4K and I want to talk to you about maybe virtual reality. And I got to get into the whole 
how you guys dealt with the pandemic, amongst other things. But uh, I would love to watch the game in 4K, Steve. I will never be able to get it because mm -hmm. even though I get emails every day from DirecTV saying you're due for an upgrade, every time I call them, we go, well, we can't get you the 4K boxes. It's the most frustrating part of my day. Do you have any connections with DirecTV, by the way? Can yeah, you help me I might be able to. You know, after this, you'll you'll give me a call. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have can I, you have high ranking connections over high at ATT. Ranking. I, you know, I, I know Mr. Mr. K. You know, I, I've always thought at some point, and you know, I have a son that has virtual reality goggles, and we've heard so much about maybe that being the next step in the in the evolution where you'll put on goggles and you'll feel like you're actually in the arena. Are you guys working on things like that? Yeah, we are. I mean, we've looked at everything. I mean, I, I must admit, on a personal level, I'm not a big fan. Why not? Uh, I don't think it, it immerses you in the way that, you know, is a, is a great experience, a social experience. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's, you know, I've seen some really amazing um, applications of it. You know, I've seen where you can literally switch off seeing scores and stats. And, you know, so you're getting not only you're getting that sort of VR experience, but you're also getting information that's just hitting you left and right. And you can change screens. And I mean, some of the things that they're, they're looking at are, are pretty outstanding. You know, we're listen, we're looking at everything. Um, innovation is a big piece of what we're doing. You know, we've introduced puck and player tracking you know, chips in the puck, chips on the players, you know, a lot of it also has direct ties to sports gambling, you know, um, the more we can get people gambling on the NHL, the more interest there will be. And, you know, it's all about prop betting and, you know, and, and you know, when you can, you know, bet on ice time, then, you know, the speed of the last shot, you know, there's so many different ways you could potentially go. In that world, you know, those are things that excite us and certainly interest us. Um, you know, AR, VR, I think there's there's elements of, you know, AR where you can literally put things on the ice, in the environment. It just, again, enhance the broadcast experience, give people more and more information. Um, you know, I think everybody is, you know, able now just based on the way their minds work to, to take in, you know, as much as they can, you know, for us, it's just about, you know, what, what just builds the experience, what gives you more information, what gets you to know our players, know our teams even more. And, but a lot of it is, you know, again, it's the old, some things will work and some things won't. And, you know, you got to look at it. Um, you know, and, and I, I think you'll see a few things that we'll try, um, but I, I don't know how much will stick. I, I really don't. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I also think it depends on, you know, who we're working with and, you know, and what directions we want to go. But I, I do think a lot of what we're looking at right now has gambling implications in terms of the technology and the innovation, because we do think that's pretty exciting. and. I don't think there's anybody in sports that doesn't feel like if you enhance that world, you're enhancing your audience. Don't, don't you think that's amazing, by the way, that, that if you go back not that long ago, 
all sports, they understood that gambling played a big role in their audience, but they never wanted to acknowledge it. And now that gambling is getting legalized around the country and being done on apps, that they recognize it's the best thing that they could possibly embrace. I mean, you know, for God's sakes, when they were trying those new football leagues, one of them was just going to, you know, have like every play that you could wager on. I mean, yeah. they were going to embrace yeah. that end more uh, than you anything know, else. Right. Uh, you know, it used to be like an under-the-table conversation. No, of course it was taboo. Like nobody wanted to admit it. Uh, you know, everybody realized it was it was a driver of audience, uh, but you know it wasn't it wasn't legal. And you know, I mean, I you know our commissioner was one that you know really wasn't a big fan at all. But then once it became legal, and once we also saw the revenue opportunities. Not only, you know, not only in terms of fan engagement, but, you know, the, the amount of sponsorship dollars that have been brought in since everything became legal. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's exciting for a sports league. And, I, you know, and it's still a work in progress. It really is. And, you know, I think it's, it's a great way to, to grow the sport and, and grow the, you know, the, the fandom. And, you know, if you have a bet on the game, you're, you're a little more interested than when you don't. No question about it. I, I got to talk to you about what, one of the things I've really been dying to talk to you about, which is how you navigated, not this year, which is also still dealing with the pandemic, obviously, the way the league is set up, the, the Canadian teams playing in Canada, the American teams playing here, the divisions all being reorganized, but, but last year. And, and I'd like to go back to just when things started. Because it, it, it's almost easy to forget that this is a year ago now, that the Utah Jazz had a game stopped in the middle, and all of a sudden that was like the first shooter drop. And then college basketball games were being canceled. And then, of course, leagues were being canceled. So take, take me back to the time when you first learned of the pandemic, saw the reaction that other leagues were having, and then the conversations that you guys must have been having when you realized that the world was going to come to a stop. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that it's now a year. It really is. Amazing. Um, we, you know, it's funny. Uh, we were still in our office in New York, and we had not gone to the work from home. Uh, there was about a week to 10 days before we finally closed it down. I remember a couple of the early conversations, Bruce, where we were talking about, all right, well, we'll be back in two or three weeks. so. When we come back, how are we going to treat our return? Like, you know, I think people thought in the early stages that it was going to be a few weeks. We're going to shut it down. It's going to go away. Everything's going to be fine. We'll be back. No problem. And then I think, obviously, you know, that turned pretty quickly. You know, and for us, um, you know, I think we were ahead of the curve on a lot of uh, on a lot of points. And, you know, uh, that's something I'm really proud of. I, I think we, we always were like looking way forward, you know, in my content world, man, we immediately realized, Oh no, how are we going to get this stuff done? How are we going to stay relevant? How are we going to get information out there? And we just started buying equipment, um, upgrading our internet for people at home. I mean, we took all of our producers and directors and we gave them home offices almost immediately. 
I, I truly believe this. I, I think we were the first league that in the content world, we were up and running within weeks. And we were fully up and running, doing full-blown shows and producing content on a daily basis. We just, we just had a system in place that, you know, ended up, as I look back at it, you know, the technical people were just incredible. I don't know how they did it, but, you know, we got that that whole area up and running. And then, you know, we started thinking about, all right, you know, we got to figure out how to finish the season. You know, we were 83% of the season in. Like, you know, we're not just going to shut this down. We got to figure out what's the best way to, to get this thing done. And then that process was, you know, you'll read it in my book someday. I mean, it was like (laughs) nothing I've ever gone through and nothing I'll ever go through. I hope again. But just the the process of figuring out how to form a bubble, what is a bubble? I mean, you know, I laugh, like people are like, oh man, you guys were so successful. It was, you know, we were figuring it out as we went along. Like there's no blueprint for any of this. You know, we, we literally decided that we were going to two other cities and then literally one weekend, it all blew up. We were going to go to Vegas and Vancouver. We were done. Like we had confirmed it. We were moving in. And then in within, I'm not kidding you, 24 hours, both deals just completely blew up. The local authorities, one was us going, we don't feel confident. And then the other was the local authority in Vancouver didn't feel confident of us. And we were like, oh, no, we got to do this in two weeks. Where are we going? And that's when we literally on a weekend, this all happened over a weekend, decided we're going to go to Edmonton and Toronto. And we just on a dime flipped and then went there and, you know, kind of, as I said, made it up as we went along. We had a really strong plan. We knew exactly what we needed to do in order to get it done successfully. But in terms of the infrastructure and the fencing and getting in people in hotels and the food and the testing and all that, that was all done in like two weeks before we actually got on site. And then another two weeks before the players got on site and, you know, 33,000 tests later, no positives at all. We got the season done and we lifted the cup. And by the way, it, it's nothing short of extraordinary because I, I always thought about the NBA who found a location, created a bubble, but they had a building where they could put five courts down side by side by side. You know, hockey needs rinks and yeah. teams have to practice and you had limited facilities. I would suggest anybody tell me, Steve, is it still on YouTube? You, you did a YouTube video, I believe, of the setup of the bubble which I found to be extraordinary as you walk through all that was done, the fencing that you talked about to make sure that the players could, you know, have a path to the hotels, to the rinks and everything else. Is that still on YouTube? It is. It is. And what, and what, what, what should people search for? I guess you would search for uh, NHL bubble tour. I think that's probably <laughs> what it would be called, but it was, you know, listen, uh, we lived in a, in a closed in, you know, we affectionately called it the jail, mm-hmm. uh, but it, we were, we were in fences and you had restaurants that were available. You had outdoor areas that were available. 
but you know, no one could penetrate that area. Um, you know, we brought in 12 teams, one, 12 in Toronto, 12 in Edmonton. And, you know, you had to have testing for thousands of people a day. There were, there were things that we did that, you know, when I kind of look back at it, it's amazing, you know, how smoothly it all went. But then to your point, we were producing three games a day. You know, we we're going all hours of the night. We were, we were figuring out how to get teams practice time, get them timed for just, you know, social, you know, and, and mental health and, you know, and restaurants and the amount of food that we produced in the bubble, crazy, you know, all of it all had to come together. Um, and, you know, some people had the great experience, some people not so much, but it was, it, you know, I'm really proud of what we were able to accomplish and, and do it so safely. And, you know, we always said it was not going to be a success unless we had one of those teams raise that cup. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been a total failure had we not been able to get through it. And somehow we got through it. And, and you, were you in the bubble the whole time? The whole time. Yeah. So and, and, it, but did Gary days. Bettman come into the bubble? Yeah. So he came in. So he came in right at the end of the conference final and all the way through the, the final. Bill Daly came along with him. So they were both in the bubble at the end. And, um, and in order to go into the bubble, for instance, Gary Bettman. You had, to, you had to have three negative tests um, before you came in, in his case, because he was able to fly privately. But when he got in, he had a quarantine for seven days before he finally could come out. So yeah. he was in his hotel room. I mean, there <laughs> were very strict rules, whether you were Gary Bettman or you were, you know, just somebody working as a cameraman. You know, you couldn't just freely come and go. If you left the bubble, you could not come back. You know, and, and we, we managed it in such a way, it was really strict. It taught a lot of people about personal responsibility, wearing masks, social distancing, cleaning your hands, all of the above, but it, it, it worked. It actually worked. And, you know, I don't know if we get the credit sometimes, because a lot of times you hear, oh, the NBA was successful and they were incredible, fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, we were really proud of what we accomplished as well. Well, I, look, it was a great job. But again, you know, unfortunately, in the landscape of sports, one is going to get attention, maybe because of the names involved and, you know, something slipped through and that may be the National Hockey League. But I think it's amazing, Steve, how it impacted the lives of people. I mean, I remember talking to Kenny Albert, who was doing play by play from your facility up in Stamford, Connecticut at NBC, Sport, uh, M- NBC Sports Network, yeah. while the games were being played out west. And then when the when the playoffs rolled around, he actually went to Edmonton, but he was doing the National Football League. He came back to do a game and wasn't allowed to do it because he hadn't gone through the whole protocol. So, I mean, everybody that was involved at almost every level, their lives were being impacted by this. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, Kenny was a great example. I mean, here's a guy who came in and uh, and again, had a quarantine in his room. I remember one day going over to his room and talking to him through his door uh, because he was locked in his room. And, <laughs> yes. But he, like, he's somebody who embraced the, the, the whole bubble. And, you know, and for many of us, including myself, it was like a pretty cool experience. I mean, first of all, in the middle of the world we're living in, you know, once you sort of got acclimated, 
you were actually eating in a restaurant or going to the bar or yeah. working. And so it felt normal. So there was some element of that. Um, you know, it's funny because with my surgery, my recent surgery, I had to get a COVID test um, in order to go into the hospital. And the woman says to me, uh, hey, uh, have you had a COVID test before? And I said, yeah, over a hundred of them. <laughs> she looked at me like, what? You know, but we had, I had 83 straight COVID tests. And then what we just did in Lake Tahoe, uh, we all were tested every day, same thing. And so that was about 14 or 15 of them there. So, yeah, I've had a few COVID tests. Uh, so but, by the way, how, how did you fall? I fell on the ice, not on the rink ice. I embarrassingly fell just on a patch of ice after a snowstorm. So, you know, I wish I had a better story. You, you, got, you got to come up with a better story. I got to do something a little better than that. that that's that's just, that's just an old man losing his footing and, and yeah, going yeah, down and it, breaking it, his it, fibula. It, it was it was even worse than that. I mean, it, it just it was an embarrassment. How I it's horrible. My phone went flying. I went <laughs> flying. Yeah, it's just it was a horrible moment. I, I wish I had a better story. But you but know? somehow somehow you worked through the weekend and and then managed to fly home with your leg broken. Yeah, I, I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> I did twelve hours that day before I went to see anybody. So oh my I was God. walking around, which obviously did it no good. And then, uh, yeah, and then I flew home. So now I have blood clots. I, I really, I've done, I've done a, a good job on this one. This was, you know, please do not judge me. Please do not judge me by my, my fall and then my subsequent errors as I've led to this moment right now. Yeah. D d does your wife have any sympathy? Is she taking care of you? Because yeah. I find when I injure myself, my wife just gets angry with me. Yeah, no, she, no. She, she's not sympathetic. She's just she's PO'd that I'm in this situation and blames me for being in it. Yeah, there, there's there's a, there's zero sympathy. So you know we both we both feel the same. Uh, yeah, she's just she she's like you know look what you did to yourself. Yeah, you know this is horrible. I'm sorry, you're on your own. No, <laughs> actually, she's been great. She's. Uh, <laughs> She's a nurse by trade, so that helps to have one in the house. But yeah, you know, listen, I just uh, just got to get back for the Stanley Cup. We got a got playoffs coming up. We got a final coming up. You know, in just a few months before you know it, and uh, you know, just want to be up and and ready to go for that. Uh, yeah, I think we're all excited for that. I know I am with my Islanders, uh, a pretty hot hockey team. But um, <laughs> I, I, you know, you're in this position now. And again, you know, oh, people always wonder, you know, how do you rise through the ranks? And, and one would think, boy, you've been a National Hockey League lifer, as you suggested, there are others, but you've taken a circuitous path. Again, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but you and I met 30 years ago working uh, for a television station, which was the Mislu Sports News Network, um, which is really the precursor to ESPN News. And whenever we have a reunion, we just had one. You'd think we invented television. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, like you'd think without us, there wouldn't be television day, but we were really the first 24 hour news cycle and you were a TV anchor. So did you ever think like, usually when you pursue that, it's a pursuit of passion. Like that's what you want to do. You want to, you want that red light on, you want to be in front of the camera. And now here you are as an executive. How did you go from being in front of the camera to now doing what you're doing? Like, tell me about that path. 
So I listen, my goal, my dream was to be on camera. Um, you know, and and when we did work together, you know, we were we were ahead of our time. Um I, I think you and I share the same belief that we did not invent television. <laughs> but we, we didn't. were we were ahead of the curve uh, on some level. We were, yes. Um, I agree. All right. But when when um when the bills uh stopped getting paid uh from being on camera, you know, there was you know, there is a need to eat. And uh, and to live in in a in a you know a somewhat okay place and when you know I wasn't getting the the work uh, on camera, you know I started taking a bunch of jobs behind the scenes. Um, you know it was always a passion of mine, and even back then when I would do a story that I would report on, I was essentially the producer in the field. You know I loved doing it, uh, and I just got more and more work producing. And, you know, eventually I had to make a decision, a career decision, like, you know, what's the direction you truly want to go to? And 30 years ago, I was a lot younger and I had that ability to sort of make that decision. And, and so it was behind the scenes for me. Um, and, you know, there are times where I look back and I go, man, I would still love to be on camera, but um, those are few and far between. And I just then, to your point, rose through the ranks through, um, you know, hard work. And, you know, I always thought being on camera has helped me as a producer. Um, just knowing what the talent needs, what they look for, you know, understanding how everything works. It just always, it always helped me. Um, you know, and I did a variety of different sports and ended up at IMG in 1996 with an opportunity for a full-time position. And that's when, you know, I got a little more in sort of the executive mode. Um, you know, and I at IMG, I was still producing and very hands-on. But at the same time, I was running the production unit there. And it grew and it grew. And, it, you know, by the time I left, it, it was a really significant production company. And, and we had grown to do not only TV production, but event production. The event production piece is what introduced me to the NHL. We at IMG were hired by the NHL to do events for them. Um, and that's how I got to know a few people over there. And that's how I got asked if, if this was something that would interest me. And it was just, you know, call it midlife crisis, call it, you know, time for a change. I just thought, you know, this would be a, an interesting opportunity and again, I had never worked for a league. I had never worked in this capacity. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I've been given some, some freedoms to be able to, to do things creatively. That's my, that's my gig. I love to be super creative and think out of the box. And, and I do think in a sport that's really conservative, you know, I've come in and, you know, um, made a little bit of an impact. You know, you mentioned, you know, oh, top 10. You know, those lists are, you know, for, for whomever, you know, it doesn't really matter. But it just, the only thing I like about some of that is I, I, I feel like I am making a little bit of an impact. And I do think within the hockey community, it's being recognized, you know, and I'm not just this, this rebel who's coming in and trying to change the world. I mean, there's a plan, there's a method to my madness. And, you know, I do think 
I'm being given some freedoms and people are waiting for what's the next thing he's going to do. And I think that's kind of cool. I, I really do. And, you know, and we've got a lot of things that we're, we're thinking about doing and we're looking forward to the future. Listen, lists are subjective, but when you're in the top 10 most powerful people in any major sport, um, whatever it is, it lends some credibility. You're, you're a very powerful man in the sports landscape. And it, it brings me to this, because as you said, you, you were part of IMG, a, a very powerful production company for a long time, started creating great content. And it's, it's really where you and I had a little conflict because um, <laughs> I, I was in radio and I was doing television, television for SNY. And now you're doing like big, you're producing the National Hockey League and you were producing a show called Beer Money. Yeah. And uh, you were looking for a host for Beer Money. Now, Beer Money was a show. We were pretty desperate back then. Yeah. So, so Beer Money was a show for our audience uh, where a guy would go into a bar with like 20 bucks in his pocket and, and ask a couple of, of silly trivia questions. And if the guy could get him right, he'd hand him like $20 in cash. I mean, I wanted the job of that of, of the host. And I, I figure I know this powerful guy, Steve Mayer. He's running the whole company, for God's sakes. I couldn't even get that job. You know, it's really interesting. I was always wondering why you invited me to this podcast. <laughs> and you waited, you waited to this perfect opportunity to, to, to just dust off that. that <laughs> and you just, you just will not let this die. Listen. You know, back then, I wasn't very powerful. That's one, one thing. I really did, I didn't make any of the decisions. Uh -huh. And, you know, and frankly, I mean, if I remember your, your um, audition, you know, Bruce, I mean, you've improved dramatically <laughs> the last year. I, I don't even think I did an audition, did I? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember. You know, but those, you know, listen, back then, those were, uh, you know, that, that was, I, I loved my time. Same reason, and I, I, you know, we just created and worked on a billion different things, including the beer monies of the world. And you came across so many different great people. I mean, you and I had a relationship, but you know, one of the great things about being there, you know, and, and being in this business is just so many, you know, how many people that you 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 work with and have you know have have you know worked alongside and over the years in so many different capacities. I think that's the, you know, thing I'm, I'm sort of most proud of. And I, I take a, you know, like from my, my job is that you just, you know, the experience is working with people from NBC, ABC, ESPN, all the different sports, you know, there's a lot of good people out there and sports is, you know, always and ever growing. And, and as we found out during the pandemic, so important. You know, so important just to keep people's spirits up and entertain and, and, you know, and they would have been way more entertained if you were the host of Beer Money. I, I clearly acknowledge <laughs> that now many years later. Listen. Why well, apologize listen, publicly I'm just going to tell a you, big this, mistake I made in my career. Th th this will be a running joke between you and I for the rest of our lives, whenever we're together at dinner or have a reunion, because I have another friend who's over at MSG, you know, a, a mutual friend, Mark Forrest. He yeah. wouldn't hire me either. All my friends, I've never gotten a job from a friend. That's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm you, that's why we're still friends. <laughs> Is that why? Yeah. yeah. It's probably the reason. No, <laughs> listen, you know, there's always, a, there's more things coming down the pipe. You know, what, you know, the Islander job could come up and, you know, you might be crawling for that. You know? <laughs> yes. And I'm sure I'll get the same result. 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> let, let me ask you this, by the way, because you're, you know, I, I would assume you'll be there for this transition. And I'm sure, I'm sure you think about it a lot. Um, you know, if you're in this business, you're learning a lot about this disconnected world. You know, I have kids that are teenagers, you have kids, and, and they're now starting to digest their, their video differently. A, sometimes they're not sitting down to watch full games. If they are watching full games, sometimes it's on their phones. Rarely is it in front of a television. And I find there's this old school mentality. Like you talked about Gary Bettman, who, who for a long time was resistant to the idea that gambling could work to your advantage. There's an old school mentality when it comes to a lot of new technology. You know, do, how, do you, how do you surround yourself with people that understand the mindset of a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 20-year-old, the audience that's going to grow with this game in the next 10 years that you need to reach, that's not going to be getting it by watching cable TV. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great point. Um, well, one, you, you've got to take advantage of those that are, you know, the people that you just described, you know, whether they're on your staff or whether or not they're just part of focus groups that you talk to. You just have to stay in touch with, with what are people consuming? How are they consuming it? And, and why? Like, what, what, what is their interest? Like, what is, you know, for them, uh, you know, impactful? And, you know, I, I can't sit here and pretend, you know, that I'm up on all their technology, all their viewing habits. We all grew up in a certain way. And it's hard to change that, but you're right. Like the world and the way we consume our our television or our our content, you know, changes daily. Um, and you've got to just you've got to be open. You've got to be very knowledgeable. You've got to listen to to what people are looking for and and how they're looking for, you know, their content to be distributed. You know, and it's not typical anymore. It really isn't. You know, we you talk about these big TV deals. They're, they are about big money and they are about exposure in a way that will never be replaced. I mean, you're never going to replace the, you know, the TV audiences that are millions and millions. But you, you have to embrace all the different ways that people are consuming, you know, whether it's a game or whether it's just a, a profile on a player. And, and you gotta, you know, you gotta bring in young people to your staff and you've gotta engage with them and give them a voice. And then you gotta go to those groups and, and really understand what they're most interested in and how they want to, you know, get their content. Uh, but it's changing and it changes, you know, what, what we're gonna talk about today, talk, let's talk in a year and, There'll be some newfangled way that, you know, people are, are enjoying their content and, you know, you just got to be ready to roll. Like was TikTok as big a year ago as it is today? No way, but it's, it's a really important medium. And if you don't embrace it, you're dead, you know? And, and so you've got to stay ahead of the curve. You can't get behind, you can't chase. And you just really got to understand what, what's out there and what's next. You know, it almost seems overwhelming because, 
you know, I think I, I smile when you say TikTok because, you know, I'm not one that embraces social media. I'm on Twitter almost by default. I'm forced to through work, but I don't have Instagram. I don't have Snapchat. But I remember, you know, Periscope was big for, you know, yeah. about a week and everybody had to be on Periscope and nobody talks about Periscope anymore. Yeah. And I know there, there, are, there, there have been others that come and go. I mean, do you have to be aware of almost everything being introduced to the marketplace and maybe embracing it for while it exists before you move on to something else, putting resources into things that may not have any lifespan? Yeah, I mean, you, in some ways you do. I mean, because if, if, you, if you're not there and it, and it takes off, you're left in the dust, you know? So, and, then, and there are many things that I have to admit personally, I, I don't understand, you know? And you got to really read up on things and understand, you know, and, and, and like hear where, where there are opportunities. And, you know, I, I think a lot of, you know, what we explore too are, you know, where can you bring in a little more revenue? I mean, you know, especially given what we're all going to be, you know, chasing when hopefully the world comes back to normal. I mean, Every one of the sports leagues have just really taken a hit, a big hit, you know, and we've kept the lights on for all the right reasons. You know, the brands need to be out there. They need to be, you know, in people's faces. We needed to keep those lights on, but it wasn't in order to make money. If anything, it was only to retain money. Um, and, you know, everybody's in a big hole not only at the league level, but at the club level. And it's going to take a long time before, you know, everyone climbs out of those holes from a financial standpoint. So these, these additional revenue opportunities are really important. And a lot of them come in the form of content. Did I hear correctly, like at the beginning of the season, that by not playing, you may have saved like a billion dollars or something like that? Correct. I mean, that, that's you unbelievable. Know, you know, and Gary, you know, Gary Bettman has said it, it's, it's, it's not M, it's B, you know, yeah. it, it's, it, you know, and, and it's really when you, you know, you take a step back, you, you, you almost, it, it, it's hard to believe, um, you know, so, you know, listen, we all hope it gets back to normal. I, I had somebody ask me today, you know, what are we doing for next year? Winter Classic, Stadium Series, all it's so hard right now. Like every time you think you can predict what's going to happen in January, uh, you know, you, you then can't like, you just, it, we, I wish somebody could tell any of us, you know, again, I'm hoping for our Stanley cup final. We have fans in the stands. It's somewhat significant, but we're not going to have full fans. No way. And, you know, and we're hoping maybe for next season at some point, it, you know, it doesn't, you know, there's no definitive answer to anything. And that's, a, that's tough when you're, when you're having to plan for four or five different ways this could go. That sucks, to be honest with you. You know, we're going to do an expansion draft in, in, in Seattle. Is it going to be in Seattle? Is it going to be virtual? Is it going to be just for the team? I mean, we're going to have to plan for every possible scenario because i don't think we're going to know till extremely late in the process the direction we're going to go and that's happened over and over and over and we've all learned to be flexible we've learned to 
you know, have great attitudes about it. And, you know, half of what you do is probably for naught. You're just doing a bunch of work for no reason at all. But it's the only way to do it in these times. And I think we're all used to it. And, you know, I, I think that makes what we've been able to accomplish even, even greater because of the fact that we've had four plans when we normally would just have one. Yeah, it, it just seems overwhelming. All right, a couple of things, and I'm going to let you go. But um, I've always said this about hockey. It's, it's home to the greatest trophy in sports. You know, as, as good as baseball is and as good as basketball is, um, the Stanley Cup trophy is the most recognizable trophy in sport. I'm sure you saw Tom Brady in the post-game parade after the Super Bowl taking the Lombardi trophy on the parade, which was on water and almost launching it in. And, you know, the great thing about the Stanley Cup is the guys get to take it home. I remember it was in the pool. Was it Sidney Crosby or Mario Lemieux? Somewhere in Pittsburgh a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, do you have to send out a memo to the guys in the league not to throw it in the lake? Well, because I'd be know, a little worried about that. I, I just would like to remind your audience, of, of which you have a lot of football fans, yeah, that just a few months earlier, uh, there was the exact, boat parade in Tampa to celebrate the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup. And the Stanley Cup was not tossed from boat to boat. It was, <laughs> you know, it, it remained on, on one of the boats. You know, listen, um, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, it's our rock star. You know, that, that Stanley Cup, it, like, uh, Bruce, I mean, I, I've seen lines around blocks for people to get their picture with the Stanley cup. And so, yeah. I mean, it's crazy, you know, and it, it really is, um, you know, it's a superstar and, you know, and our players, I mean, the one thing that the bubble taught me, which I thought I knew, but man, I saw it firsthand, you know, when, when it got down to four teams, I mean, these guys were, like in a bubble, they've been away from their families, but man, it was about winning that cup. Like it was, they, that was it. Like you, you would think that these guys made $5 and 32 cents an hour and they are just playing for the love of it uh, because it was, that's all they talked about was the cup, the cup, the cup. And then you saw the sheer joy you know, and and you realize that it really is in, you know, in, in our sport, maybe more. And I and, and you, you know, I uh, your audience go, oh, you know, really. But I, I do think that it's, it's the only thing these guys play for is just they want that name. They want their name forever on that cup. And it's pretty cool. And uh, and it hasn't been tossed from boat to boat. Um, <laughs> No, well, but you don't, you don't, you don't have quarterbacks in, um, in hockey. No, you, no, you don't. we don't. So I don't think anybody would have the arm to get it there. Yeah. yeah but yeah. there have been things that have happened in the Stanley cup or with the Stanley with cup, the cup. Yeah, probably it's would be even more eventful, exciting than just being tossed from a boat to another boat. Well, it's, it's been left on the side of roads. Has it not? It's it like I said, it's been in the pool at a, at a Pittsburgh pool party, if I remember yeah. correctly. I mean, there's always little hijinks that goes on with it. And I'm thinking, it's the Stanley Cup. And it's just being tossed around like it's somebody's, it's somebody's Hess truck. You can't have it that way. 
you got to yeah. take control of the situation, Steve. I'm yeah, putting you in no, charge. But of it, it's a, it's a cool trophy, and you know, to see how people go gaga when they see it is really cool. Yeah. All right. I, I, I'm I'm going to end with this. I rarely do a podcast without making sure there's something in it for me. So I, I couldn't get beer money. Uh, my <laughs> Islanders are going to be moving into a brand new building. Do I have a yes. connection for tickets when I want to go? Now, listen. I grew up going to the Coliseum. I had season tickets at Barclays, which between you and I, not a good place to watch hockey. Yeah, that, I think that you know wasn't that. the best, was it? No. No, not not good. And now they're moving into a brand new, it looks like a spectacular building it out is. near it's Belmont Park, uh, which is going to be an impossible ticket on opening night. Do I have a connection for a ticket? Yeah, you know, I think that we might uh, be able to figure that out. I, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think after years and years of the your money complaining if if, that, if a ticket to opening night makes all this go away it will be well worth it yeah me. and and i don't want a freebie by the way i'm i'm willing to pay my no, free no I, no i think we could manage that. all right and, and then this is the other request i have when my son is old enough uh can i get him an internship at the national hockey league there you go well uh that that might be easier than getting you a ticket to opening night <laughs> yeah, i'm sure uh yeah i mean that that new arena is going to be spectacular it really is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and by the and by the way, I know this is you know narrow casting as they call it in broadcasting, <laughs> but they belong on the island. And people are going to say Brooklyn's on the island. No, 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 no. They belong on Long Island. That's where the Islanders should be playing. I I would agree. Yeah. Who are you a fan of growing up? By the way, um, I was arranged. No, oh, well we we have nothing else to talk about. I was. Arranged. I did. I did do a podcast with Dave Maloney. By the way, did you know that? I, I did not know that. Yeah. Know that. I did a podcast. Yeah, I, I cheer for all 31 teams equally. Um, yeah. See, I, I work on NFL radio, and when people ask, I go, look, I'm a Giants fan. I, I have to do, uh, you know, and, and as I do part, the beauty of hockey, you know, it is a great community, and there's some really good people. And you just mentioned you're an Islander fan. I was a Rangers fan. And, you know, where we started, you asked me about my surgery. Uh, my surgery was performed by the team doctors of the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> there so you how go. about that? So we, <laughs> there we go. We, we, we've hit them all. So, them so, all. Somehow it all comes full circle. Listen. No, but a huge shout out. I mean, and it's a great community and some really super people. And I'm loving where I am. And, you know, uh, I'm going to get you that island. It's going to, you're going to, where do you want to sit? You have any preferences? <laughs> I want to sit next to you. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> Let's do it. You got I want to sit next to you. That's where Opening I want to sit. Night. I love it. Um, listen, only I, a few I, months away. I know. Believe me, I'm I'm counting the days. I, I can't thank you enough because again, I, I want to tell our audience what you're going through. You, you were out in Lake Tahoe in February. You 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 broke your leg out there. You came back. You had complications with the broken leg. You had blood clots. You needed surgery. Um, you're on painkillers right now, and yet you're still, you still were good enough to do this podcast. I, I can't thank you enough, Steve, really. I, I, I enjoyed learning all about what you went through, uh, and I'm so glad that we could get together. Bruce, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, no, um, listen, it's the hockey mentality, right? You gotta, yeah. you, you know, you gotta get through it. No yeah, problem. Listen, and I, I, I thank I, you so much for having I, I, me. And, 
Dude, I've known you, I, I, listen, I've known you for a long time. 30 years ago, you were never the guy that had the hockey mentality. I'm just saying. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> so you've come a long way. No, listen, yeah. thanks. Uh, yeah, and be listen. well, get better, okay? Yeah, so you think we fooled your audience? I think we fooled the audience, yes. Steve Mayer, Chief Content Officer of the National Hockey League and, of course, an old friend. I hope you enjoyed the time we spent with him. Don't forget, you can check out my podcast every Thursday as we release a new episode. You can get it on the SiriusXM app and wherever you get your podcast. I hope you'll join me next week. I'm Bruce Murray. SiriusXM Podcasts.